Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34 plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So, You can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Hello, America, and happy Wednesday. Great to join you on a historic day. Later today, the United States House of Representatives will vote on whether to formally approve an impeachment inquiry against Joe Biden. This based on all the evidence that has been dug up by James Comer and Jim Jordan and Jason Smith that show the president of the United States was deeply involved in helping his son make money by meeting with his business clients at the National Observatory, Naval Observatory, where the vice president worked, at a restaurant in Washington, getting on phone calls, according to Devin Archer. He also was a recipient of funds that came through Hunter Biden and James Biden's client deals, 200 plus thousand from James Biden. At least 40,000 came from Chinese money that Hunter Biden got from a loan from a Chinese energy company, a loan that was flagged by banks as suspicious, both for money laundering and for possible political influence. Earlier today, Hunter Biden was supposed to show up for a deposition. He didn't, but he did go up to Capitol Hill to have a press conference and to say his father had nothing to do with his businesses. Of course, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary, but listen to what Hunter Biden had to say. Let me state as clearly as I can. My father was not financially involved in my business, not as a practicing lawyer, not as a board member of Burisma, not in my partnership with a Chinese private businessman, not in my investments at home nor abroad, and certainly not as an artist. We're going to tackle that and a whole lot more with Congressman Austin Scott at the top of the show. Congressman Scott is a member of the House Intelligence Committee. He has a lot of insight into the FISA reforms. There are two different paths for reforming FISA. They're going to get done early next year. They're going to extend FISA for about 90 days until they get a full deal done. But the path that Congressman Scott has picked, a little bit different, doesn't require a warrant for every American like Andy Biggs, but it does limit the number of people in the FBI who can do those sort of phone records checks on Americans and limit the circumstances by which they can be used without a warrant. And it creates some significant penalties. It's something that Cash Patel and others are a big proponents of. It's interesting, Cash Patel and Devin Nunes support the Intelligence Committee's version and the Judiciary Committee, obviously Jim Jordan and Andy Biggs on the other side. But Austin Scott's going to describe what in detail the House Intelligence Committee reforms do and why he thinks they're the right way to go. He's also very deferential and accepting of the ideas that House Judiciary Committee has put out there. But that's a really good discussion. In the second half of the show, we're going to hear from Michael Chamberlain at the Protect the Public Trust Government Watchdog Group. It's one of the more impactful groups in America these days. It's the one that got findings against Corrine Jean-Pierre, the 
White House press secretary that she violated the Hatch Act with her attacks on MAGA followers. There's other great stuff they're doing today. We're going to talk about a very important memo that they've unearthed. And I'm going to get, because you're a John Solomon Reports fan, you're going to get it before it even shows up on Just the News. It's a very important document. So we know that Merrick Garland set out a memo in October or fall of 2021 telling federal agents and workers, hey, let's ramp up investigative efforts against school board protesters, parents protesting school board, if they're engaging in threats, harassment, or intimidation. That has been a controversy for a very long time. But one of the things we didn't know was what happened in the days and weeks after that. And was there a pressure campaign to make sure that the attorney general's guidance was followed or that it had the uh, appropriate actions to follow from it? And what we've learned in the last couple of days is very definitively, yes, there was. What was that that was sent? A memo was sent out by Monty Wilkinson at the executive office of the U.S. attorneys. That's basically the chief of the 91 federal prosecution offices around this country. And it set a deadline saying, hey, you've got a few days to get this memo and get meetings going with local law enforcement to have this discussion. The memo from Merrick Garland went out in mid-October. On October 20th, Monty Wilkinson sends out a memo to all U.S. attorneys and their first assistants. These are you know, the criminal chiefs, the law enforcement coordinators, public affairs officers, saying you've got until November 3rd, 2021, to set up a meeting with appropriate district law enforcement leaders to implement what the attorney general said. So it's a deadline and pressure memo, and it has very specific requests about what they want to do. They, they say, who should be in the meeting? We want relevant federal, state, local, tribal, and territorial law enforcement agencies to attend. You can choose the format of the meeting, but here are some ideas for how to do it. Here are the discussion topics, how victims can be supported, state, local, tribal, territorial laws that address this contact. Go over them, relevant federal laws and appropriate exercise of federal law enforcement authority and outrage in training. Offer local law enforcement outreach in training. We know from some evidence that Congressman Ben Klein made public that at least six cases were referred by the FBI to local law enforcement for further investigation. That's a very important part of this process. This memo shows that there was pressure and a deadline to get this done. This was not, hey, a suggestion. It was get it done and we're monitoring and you have to let us know whether you got the meeting done by November 3rd because it actually requires the prosecutors to notify the executive office for U.S. United States attorneys that you have held this meeting and identify which agencies participate and note any significant issues to be sent to the deputy attorney general. That is a pressure memo, and it adds to the context and the meaning of what we've learned, and it kind of runs contrary to some of the downplaying that Justice Department officials have made of the Garland memo. This shows that it wasn't only taken forcefully. There was a deadline and a pressure campaign by the U.S. Attorney's Chief Administrator, the Executive Office of the U.S. Attorney and Monty Wilkinson, specifically. In the second half of the show, we're going to talk about that with Michael Chamberlain from Protect the Public's Trust. It was his FOIA that surfaced this memo, a pretty important new document. Two years after the memo was sent out, the guidance was sent out, just exactly how the government responded to it. We'll cover that in the second part of the show today. All right, that's a great show. We're kind of excited for what we've got here today, and we're looking forward to having some robust discussions throughout the week. We'll have some more scoops coming up as the week goes on. Now, before we go to commercial break, 
I want to remind you of all the great partners that we have in the Justin News World, the John Solomon Reports podcast. One of them is my good friends at Muzzlestick, M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K. It's an interesting spelling, but they do great work. They're helping gun owners like me enhance gun safety with their big, brightly colored chamber and barrel flags. These flags allow you to visually identify very quickly whether a gun is unloaded or loaded. That's important to someone who maybe is not around guns often, stumbles upon one, and doesn't know how to handle it. If someone were to hand you a firearm with a muzzle stick chamber flag in it, you'd be able to identify instantly uh, if it was unloaded. Muzzle stick believes that every unloaded firearm should be unloaded, the chamber filled, and clearly marked with a flag. Muzzle stick is not intended to replace the rules of firearm safety, but it offers an additional rapid clear identification safety protocol. It's a great idea. It could help save lives. Give the gift of muzzle stick for this holiday season. It's a great stocking stuffer for anyone who's a Second Amendment fan and also wants to have gun safety in their home. It's very simple. Go to muzzlestick.com today. M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today. Place your order like I have. It's a great stocking stuffer gift. I love it. You will love it too. It's a great way to encourage Second Amendment celebration as well as the celebration of safe firearm ownership muzzle stick taking it to a new level with their chambered barrel flags i love them you should love them too let them know that justin news and john solomon report sent you because they support us in a very big way all right when we come back austin scott congressman from georgia on the front lines of the fisa battle on the house intelligence committee he's going to describe the option that he's in favor of for reforming fisa you won't want to miss it there's some really interesting detail that the congressman is going to give us right after these messages You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now, get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code JUSTNEWS15. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS. They know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time 
IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. All right, folks, welcome back to the commercial break. Very excited to have this next guest on. He's always been a truth teller in Congress on the leading edge, I think, of some of the most important oversight and intelligence issues in the Congress. Joining us right now from the great state of Georgia is Congressman Austin Scott. Congressman, great to have you back on the show. Hey, John, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. It is a busy end to the congressional year and a lot of things on the forefront, a lot of people thinking out loud now, what will happen with FISA? It looks like there'll be a temporary reprieve. It'll get kicked ahead a couple of months. But do you feel confident that there'll be some form of reform before the 2024 election? Absolutely. 100 percent. And, uh, you know, if you look back at the things that have been done, there there have clearly been abuses. Uh, the intelligence bill, which is the one that I support, what, what right. I want people to know is that 95 percent of the people in the FBI that currently have access to this will not have access to it after uh, the intelligence bill passes. If, if that passes, their language is still in there. There are protections for U.S. citizens in there. But it, but it still gives our law enforcement agencies the tools that they need to do their job at the speed that they need to do it if they're, if they're trying to stop a terrorist attack inside the United States. So, you know, those of us that are conservative are all upset about things that were done, the abuses that came from right. uh, some at the top level of the FBI. And we don't need to confuse what the uh, agent on the street is doing, those that are, that are honorably serving us, uh, stopping the terrorist attack, stopping child and human trafficking, uh, stopping uh, as best they can the fentanyl uh, coming into this country. Uh, You know, those people are are patriots. They're doing everything they can to protect us as U.S. citizens. The abuses were at the top of the system. Uh, I firmly believe that the intelligence bill has the protections in there so that what happened to Carter Page uh, could not happen again. And if it did happen again, the people who did it would go to prison. So I'm concerned about how far um, the judiciary bill goes on, on the warrant aspect and how much it would slow down uh, our law enforcement agencies' ability to do their job when they move when they need to move fast. And so, what what I would give you as the example, John, is if, if the if the Israelis take a phone off a Hamas commander and and they see something on that phone and they hand it over to us and and we find out that, that Hamas commander has been in touch with somebody inside the United States, we we need to be able to see those communications. Right. And I don't think we should have to have a warrant to see those communications. Now, if if we go to a, a U.S. citizen's house and we say, give us your phone, we want to find out if you've been in touch with somebody with Hamas, we absolutely have to have a warrant for that. And so uh, the question is, you know, wh- where where do the lines of the constitutional protections uh, apply? And I certainly believe it applies to U.S. citizens, but if we take a phone off of somebody who who we know is a terrorist or is on the terrorist watch list, I I, I think Americans want us to know what their communications have been with uh, people inside the United States of America. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let me take that a little bit further. I think a lot of people are trying to understand how this would work. You arrest a Hamas leader there, but you don't have his phone, and quickly someone wants to search all of his contacts in the United States, which would require going to the phone companies. How would your, this bill apply to that situation where you have to ask the phone companies for the records? So, so it, would, it would continue. Our bill 
would would continue uh, the authority to to get those records. Okay. Uh, if if we're getting the records from a known terrorist, not a U.S. citizen, uh, right. Our our intelligence bill does not require a warrant for that. Okay. All right. That's good to understand. And then uh, the, I think the big number either. Let, let's remember. I mean, they got a warrant yep. for page. That's so, right. So the warrant they aspect did. of things is not foolproof. It isn't. No, that's a great point. If they lie in the warrant, uh, as they did with uh, Carter Page, you don't have the same protection. That's exactly right. That's a great point to make. One of the things that uh, you mentioned, I don't think it gets talked about enough, is the fact that this would really restrict the number of people who have access to the phone database, reduce it. I think you said by 95%. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, the uh, look, those of us who want it reauthorized recognize there are abuses and that right. uh, and, and we're going to limit, we're going to limit the people inside the FBI um, that can actually do the queries. And so I, I think I said, I, I think I said uh, 95%. It's actually, I'm looking at my notes here. It's actually 90% of FBI would no longer be authorized uh, to do the queries. And so it, it's 90%. And then the 95% number is um, is on the on the data that they could not get without a warrant. Gotcha. So, so wow, we do, we do we we stop. I mean, the abuses that we saw, the abuses that we saw, we stop. Right. And we put consequences in there for people who uh, who violate that. But but again, going back to the warrant, I mean, they had a warrant on Carter Page, and that was clearly an abuse. Yeah, yeah, and that's a great point. To uh, people forget that, but there was a warrant uh, which didn't protect Carter Page one bit because the information that went into it was bad. There are really significant penalties here for cheating on this, something that really hasn't been in the system before. That could be a major deterrent, can't it? I, I think so. So, so there, there are uh, – it, it makes compensation contingent on uh, compliance with the new rules for the, the FBI. Uh, it, it puts in a zero-tolerance policy. Uh, it increases uh, the criminal penalties for uh, unlawful uh, surveillance. And uh, here, uh, you know, we've had a problem with leaks in the past, and right. uh, and it addresses the issue of the leaks as well with, with regard to criminal penalties. And the leaks out of the Justice Department, um, you know, I firmly believe that, that it was a leak out of the Justice Department that led to, um, you know, my Senator David Perdue's defeat, and uh, in, in that, you know, when they accused him of, insider trading, which he clearly did not do, and was right. exonerated all of that. Uh, it, it was a Justice Department leak that led to the Democratic ads that, at least that's what I believe, that, that you know, ultimately led to a change in the U.S. Senate seat. Wow. Yeah, that, that's the danger. Uh, the political weaponization of this data is so dangerous. Absolutely, 100%. Yeah, it's eroded our confidence in such ways. Well, this has a lot of new uh, protections and a lot of new penalties. It's going to be very interesting to see. When do you think there'll be a uh, a vote and a deal? Will it be before Christmas or after Christmas? Probably after Christmas now, right? Well, it, it, you know, the National Defense Authorization Act has got uh, about a 90-day extension in it. Yep. And so the the main thing to me, John, is that the public understand the differences in the two bills. And so uh, we've got time to to continue to talk about those differences, to give people like you the ability to go out there and and explain the differences in the two pieces of legislation to the American right. citizens. And then I'm I'm confident that if that if the 
if the legislators in, in Congress and if the public understands uh, the two bills, the Judiciary Bill versus the in, Intelligence uh, Committee Bill, that that they will side with the one that that's right. And so yeah. I personally believe it's the Intelligence Bill. Uh, uh, you know, others that I respect would tell you it's the, the Judiciary Bill. But the main thing is that the public knows the truth about both pieces of legislation. And that we pass a piece of legislation that stops the abuses that we saw, uh, predominantly against conservatives, and in fact, virtually always against conservatives. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, protects us um, it, and, and our families from those that want to do us harm. Yeah, especially in this moment of great harm. I mean, there's so much uh, people wanting to do us harm right now. It's probably as, as dangerous as any time since 9-11. And so I know that that tool is so important on that front. I want to pivot quickly to impeachment. There'll be a vote, obviously, later today on uh, whether to uh, formalize the impeachment inquiry. You've seen the evidence that uh, Chairman Comer and Chairman Jordan have put out there and Chairman Smith. The the story really has moved a long way in a short period of time. Your assessment of Joe Biden's contact, and we know what Hunter Biden has done. It's pretty clear what Hunter Biden did. How much do you think the president himself is now implicated in this wrongdoing? Look, he, he absolutely knows. He absolutely knows. I think that we will be able to show the flow of money. Um, you know, if you look at, you know, if you if you look at Hunter Biden, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it. Why would you pay a guy whose personal life is in, in shambles the way it is, um, millions and millions of dollars, unless it was for access to some somebody else? Yeah. It, it just it just defies it defies logic, and so I'm I'm confident that Jamie will be able to show the flow of money, uh, and you know what 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 I would tell you that's not talked about, John, is from a political standpoint. Yes, the politically smart thing is for us to uh, simply continue to expose what they did, and and push through the election. Right. Um, the responsible thing to do is to vote for this bill today and and let's make everything official and, and put it out there in, a, in, a, in an official uh, context. And so the Democrats are saying this is political, this is political, this is political. The impeachment of Donald Trump was political. I mean, the right what what they did, I mean, they impeached him for something that was absolutely false. Um, yeah. You know, especially the first one. Now, some people could argue on January 6th one. I mean, I still think, you know, January 6th, they shouldn't have been impeached then either. But right. but the politically smart thing for Republicans to do it is different from what the responsible thing is. The responsible thing is, I mean, what our speaker has asked us to do is to vote for the impeachment inquiry and make everything official. And so, yeah. you know, that's what we're going to do today. I hope the vote passes. Uh, as you know, we have a very slim margin. Um, and, you know, it, 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 it remains to be seen uh, if we'll have the votes or not. I, I certainly hope we do. And the responsible thing to do is to have the inquiry and, and you know, let's show the American citizens just how much money the Biden family received from countries that are our adversaries. Yeah. This is Powerball-style money, John. Yes, it is. It's huge amounts. Huge amount. Sir, I want to ask about something that uh, Chairman Comer released about a week ago. It was a bank report from 2018 flagging 
uh, a famous $5 million Chinese loan that I wrote about a couple of years ago and I've stayed focused on. The bank itself said it felt like this was a loan. This is the bank speaking in its own email uh, transmitting the SARS. That uh, This looked like a well-known Chinese practice of trying to gain influence through the son of a, of a prominent political figure. If a bank could see the obvious nature of what the payment was for, uh, was there anyone in the intelligence community that was looking and saying, hey, the Biden family's engaged in something that doesn't look right? It seems as though our intelligence community, they have their ear to the ground all the time. It just seems shocking that they would not have known or had some idea that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were in sort of this game of, of, of soliciting money from people who wanted influence from Joe Biden. I I, I don't know if they did or, or, or not, John. What, what I can tell you, I mean, Joe Biden made the statement on the – I mean, he made the statement very publicly when he was bragging yeah. about, you know, what he did to the investigator, you know, um, I guess it, I guess it was the Burisma issue where, right. where they didn't like the prosecutor over there. And he says, if you don't get rid of him, um, maybe paraphrasing a little bit, if you don't get rid of him, you know, we're not going to send you any U.S. money. And then, right. you know, I, I mean, just take Joe Biden as his word for what he did and what happened. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, with, US, yeah. with U.S. tax dollars. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, can can you imagine if a Republican had said that? Uh, no, there would be there would be massive investigations and headlines twenty four seven. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for most of the last two years, the media tried to call that a conspiracy theory. Now, obviously, it's not such a conspiracy theory. When you he said when it you on TV. Uh, he did right on videotape. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it's. It is an amazing thing. I want to pivot to one last thing because you have always been a voice of fiscal conservatism. Uh, there's all sorts of different options on the table for how to get through the next budget year. What is your preference in terms of uh, getting a spending bill done that authorizes spending for the rest of 2024? And do you think there's a chance that some reduction in spending, something that a lot of American people are looking for, can be achieved and whatever solution comes out of it? So, so I think the thing, the mistake we made, let me start with the mistake we made. Sure. Um, the debt limit deal that we passed, we should have put a dollar cap in it instead of a date cap. Yep. That was, that was my primary reluctance on that piece of legislation. It did actually cut spending, call for spending reductions. I do think we will end up with some spending reductions. Unfortunately, with the interest on the debt, yeah. the total spending because of the interest is going to go up not down, even when we do cut federal spending. And so we're not having an honest discussion about, about, you know, where we are uh, with the, with the kind of the point of no return, if you will, John, and the, and the interest rates, even if we cut total federal spending, um, whatever we cut it, the increased interest cost is going to, is going to continue to increase the deficit. And so what, what, you know, what people need to recognize and, and where we as our message have got to do a better job of it as Republicans. The Democrats spent $3 trillion, $3 trillion without a single Republican vote. Um, now, that's about 10% of the national debt in the 24 months where they had the House, the Senate, and the White House. Yeah. That, that uh, what they called the Inflation Reduction Act, which obviously jump-started inflation, and then what they called the American Rescue Plan, those two pieces of legislation were approximately $3 trillion. Wow. You know, we're trying to get spending back down to pre-COVID levels. I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good goal. I mean, we're not in, we're not in a national emergency right now. 
So right. why should spending levels go back, be, be at the levels that they were uh, during COVID? The, the bottom line is they shouldn't. And so, so getting back to pre-COVID levels is where we need to go. And yeah. that uh, you can, you can adjust them for, you know, some, you know, moderate level of growth, maybe, maybe two and a half percent or 3%. I, I don't know what the exact right number is there, but we can't continue down the path we're on. And if we don't make the argument, John, the risk is that we lose the next elections. Now, if if uh, if we lose the next elections, I just want to remind all your all your listeners, the tax code that we passed that led to yep. the highest tax revenue that we've ever had in the history of the country. Uh, the same tax code that Democrats claim that if we hadn't passed it, you know, we wouldn't have a deficit, which is which is total nonsense. We've got more tax revenue than we've ever had in the history of the country under right. that tax bill, and and that tax bill will expire at the end of twenty five. And so yeah. if Dems take the House, the Senate, and the White House, what you can expect is, you know, tremendous tax increases because of the, um, you know, they will let that bill lapse. Yeah, and you're right. If, uh, one of the great ironies of the Trump tax cut is that it grew the economy in such a way that tax revenues went up. And if we if we go back to 2019 levels, I guess receipts are down a little bit this year in the Biden economy, but you're pretty close to a balanced budget if you get back to 2019 levels, aren't you, because of the fact that revenue has gone up so much with the tax cuts? And and, and that's the that's the point that, that we don't make very well, John, mm-hmm. is that all we need to do is stop the increase in spending for a couple of years and yep. – and, and we can we can get back to a sense of balance as long as our economy keeps growing. Now, the, the thing that's going to suffocate the economy, um, it's not just taxes. It's, it's the rules and regulations that make it harder for a business to – it makes it harder for you to start a business and makes it harder for a business to grow. Yeah, that is so true. Every every small business uh, owner I've talked to in the last two years say the exact same thing. It's just getting harder and harder to do the basics of business. It really is scary. Sir, what a great honor to have you on. I don't know if we'll get to talk to you before Christmas. I know you got a very busy end to the congressional session, but greatly appreciate your time and all the hard work you're doing to make America safe and prosperous again. It's such a great honor to have you on. Hey, I appreciate you and hope hope you have a Merry Christmas and all of your listeners do as well. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you very much. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Michael Chamberlain, the head of the Protect the Public's Trust watchdog group, they're doing some great work. He's going to talk about the explosive new memo he's uncovered through a FOIA request of Freedom of Information litigation showing the pressure campaign to enforce Merrick Garland's memo telling federal prosecutors and the FBI to begin investigating parents who make threats at school board meetings. Brand new pressure campaign we've uncovered through the FOIA. We'll have that right after these messages. Folks, financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year, and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again, just like we've been predicting. Friends, this isn't going away anytime soon. It can't. The U.S. is $34-plus trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher, whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store. So 
you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. All you got to do to get started, text Just News to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation. The way to do it with gold. All you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group, text Just News to 989898 right now. Folks, Field of Greens is the healthiest thing I do every day, and I want you on this journey with me. Why? It's literally one scoop a day. It tastes great. I love the fruit flavors particularly, and it's completely improved my life and my health. This is nutrition the way nature intended. When I began taking a hard look at why I wasn't feeling good and why I felt unhealthy, why I was gaining weight, why I was losing energy, it wasn't just because I had hit my 50s. No, it was because I wasn't getting the right amount of fruit and vegetables in my diet. And listen, it's, I'm just too busy to go to the store, clean up the vegetables, cook uh, uh, vegetable dinners, and make sure I hit the fruit. A field of greens stepped in. One scoop of powder in my drink or on my eggs in the morning, and boom, I was off and feeling better. And suddenly, I was losing weight. I was sleeping better. My metabolism went up. My blood sugar went down. My cholesterol went down, and my weight went down. And my doctor said, hey, whatever you're doing, keep it doing. You know what that is? It's Field of Greens. That's what I've been doing. Field of Greens is radically different. Each organic fruit and vegetable was medically chosen to support heart and vital organ health. I trust Field of Greens to keep me healthy. I promise you, you're going to love this product. But if for any reason you don't, they'll give you 100% money back guarantee. Now, you're going to get 15% off your first order plus free rush shipping because of the incredible partnership we have here at Just the News with Brick. House Nutrition, and of course, Field of Greens. All you got to do to take advantage of this offer, visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Don't wait. Go to fieldofgreens.com today. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS for 15% off. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. As I mentioned at the top of the show, a new memo uncovered by our good friends at Protect the Public's Trust, Michael Chamberlain, shows just how much pressure the Justice Department was putting on its line prosecutors, the U.S. attorneys in the 91 U.S. Attorney's Office across the country, to get local law enforcement engaged on the notion of investigating parents who were raising concerns about school board agendas and school board curriculum back in the fall of 2021. A great escalation and a little bit more detail now on just how much pressure the Justice Department was applying. Joining us right now to uh, talk about this memo that he helped uncover through a Freedom of Information Act request is Michael Chamberlain from Protect the Public's Trust. Michael, good to have you back on. Oh, great to be on, John. It's always a pleasure. This is a pretty big find. We kind of knew that Merrick Garland wanted this to happen, but here you find out that the director of the Office of the Executive Office of the U.S. Attorneys is telling prosecutors, you got a two-week deadline, literally putting pressure, setting a deadline, and then kind of mandating exactly how they wanted the meetings to go and what they wanted to accomplish. This seemed like a very top-down pressure campaign on federal prosecutors. Am I misreading the memo? I don't believe so, John. And this is not only in, in the direction and the the clarity and the the power of it, but also in the the scope. So they name at least uh, by not by name, but by title, uh, six different levels of officials, and they sent the the memo to all 
the U.S. attorney's offices across the country and ordered them to, it, it does say on the memo that it's guidance on implementing uh, the attorney general's man, memorandum, but there are required actions that they are required to convene a meeting within the next two weeks. The memo was sent out on October 20th of 2021, and they were supposed to have the meeting by November 3rd, and they were supposed to, they were required to report back uh, and to verify that they had the meeting and list uh, details like such as the local officials who attended. So this was not something that was just, uh, you know, not something that they didn't believe was important. It doesn't, it doesn't look like they, they put a lot of effort and resources into enforcing the memo. Yeah, pretty remarkable. I think it was earlier this year, Ben Klein revealed that the FBI actually referred six cases to local law enforcement to potentially pursue. The way that Garland has openly tried to defend himself is this, I wasn't targeting parents. I just wanted to make sure there was no violence. But the memo seems to really have a very clear agenda and purpose. When you look at it, I mean, you, you've seen a lot of government memos before. This clearly seems like a top-down effort designed to pressure prosecutors to show results, right? Show me the money. Make sure that you can show us that you did something. That's rare for the Justice Department to be that top-down. What do you think was going on? Well, I, I think they were actually, uh, you know, the, I believe that the parents' worst fears may have been realized with the memo. You know, that it was in response to the National School Boards Association memo that had been released a, a few weeks earlier and at the end of September that uh, essentially equated uh, parents protesting at school board meetings to domestic terrorism. Uh, now, they didn't, the Garland memo doesn't use that terminology, but they took that step of into action and identified uh, officials that they wanted to have involved. Uh, the memo decided to determine that the federal officials were supposed to work with local officials, even though I think a lot of people real recognize or, or a lot of people believe that this is this is something that should be handled at the local level. Um, they and also John, they they use some terminology in the memo like a quote disturbing spike in in incidents, um, but. You know, one of the things that we asked for in our original FOIA request was some data on you know why they how they came up with this determination. Because you, as you know, John, of federal agencies, they they can't just use words like increasing or spike and like that without having and and take action on those without having some basis in data. Um, to be honest, John, you know how FOIA requests work. We, we haven't gotten all the documents, but so far we've seen no data. The only evidence that we've seen that they acted upon was the school board's association letter and the um, anecdotes that the school board's association letter points to. So there's a couple of elements in here. And then not only did they send out the initial memo, but then this one, which is really a call to action. There's a deadline, right? They're setting a deadline for them. Exactly, John. And, and so this is that they, this kind of at the, the time or since that happened, since the Garland memo came out, uh, the school board association, they backed off of their letter. They, they rescinded it. They apologized. Uh, Attorney General Garland has not apologized. Uh, they, they determined, or they turned his, memo into action through this memo. 
Uh, and so even, but officials from the Justice Department and the FBI have gone and testified in Congress and, and kind of tried to distance themselves and downplay the role of their agencies in implementing this memo. But right here, John, we have proof uh, in writing that uh, it was not downplayed, that, that they went uh, and took some concrete steps and required concrete steps of their of their offices to implement the memo. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. It's been an interesting couple of years because obviously the weaponization subcommittee has been digging into a lot of this information, but there doesn't seem to be a significant recognition on the part of the Justice Department why there was such a blowback, why there was such a distrust of the Justice Department on this why do you think that is? Why isn't justice more reflective of what they did here? Obviously, they rescinded the memo eventually, but what is the lack of learning? What is the mentality that leads to a lack of learning on this? It's it's hard to say, John, but one of the things, and, and I think you, you kind of alluded to it with your question, is there's been a tremendous loss of trust among the American public in these agencies that were so vaunted and, and so... Uh, highly honored and people really looked up to. Um, but you know, for whatever reason, and they've taken actions in recent years and don't that have really weakened their trust with, with the public and, and they don't really seem to have made efforts to try to repair that. Uh, in other words, in, in fact, they've done quite the opposite and tried to justify uh, things that where they've made missteps and, and downplay. And, and it's just kind of disturbing, John, to be honest. Yeah. So there's a series of questions and answers that were produced. And I put the word produced in quotes because almost everything is redacted in the Q&As of how they told people to talk and testify. Is that something you might go back and try to get unredacted? Because it looks like they were trying to prepare statements for Q&As, but we can't see what those statements were. Mm -hmm. Yes, John, we're, these, this FOIA is still in litigation. And that's another thing. We were forced to go to court to get DOJ to produce documents in the first place. And so that's something that we will, we will be addressing during the process. Also, uh, with, as, with respect to the FBI, um, the FBI tried to get this case, this FOIA case, thrown out of court, um, the, the judge ruled against them and ordered them to start producing documents. So they've kind of gone out of their way, it seems, and at least in some cases, to uh, avoid producing the documents originally with the, with the FOIA requests. And then we, like I say, we had to go to court to get documents in the first place. Even some agencies like the FBI were resistant to even comply with that. And so it's been a struggle and it's been a slog to be able to get these documents that the American public really deserves. These are these are public records that belong to the American people. Yeah, yeah, it really is pretty remarkable. Now, the memo that went out to U.S. attorneys made clear that free speech should be protected. But when there's this level of pressure coming down from the top, particularly the head of the U.S. attorney's office basically saying, yeah, you got a two-week deadline, get something going, or there's going to be trouble from above, is there a danger of that pressure perhaps tempting people to do more that could infringe on free speech? There's definitely that danger, John, and especially when you get the the FBI is is coordinating or or, or training local officials and there these people at at the local level maybe 
they're trying to, to do some work to impress the FBI. Maybe they're believing that the or the, the DOJ and the U.S. attorneys are, are looking from some for some results from them. And so they may have a tendency to, to try to to overstep a little bit to try to produce the results that that they believe that the U.S. attorney's office is looking for. Those are some of the dangers that are inherent in this type of, of federal action. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a fascinating memo right after the U.S. Attorney's Office memo goes out from Monty Wilkinson, the director of the executive office of the U.S. Attorneys. It's forwarded to senior leadership in the Justice Department. And the when it's forwarded, it says, this will ensure the team knows right away. Thanks. Clearly, a sense of urgency in all of this. It's just such an interesting dynamic going on at the top of the Justice Department, how very concerned or how alerted they were to every aspect of this. There's another element in here that also caught my attention a little bit about potentially using one of the programs, Women Against Violence, I think it is. It was one of the programs they were thinking of using. It looks like they were looking for avenues to create novel pressure points against a parent who might have gone to a school board member. What do you think was going on? I mean, I think were they looking to create new law or to, to look for new weapons that could be used in this? Uh, it's hard to say, John, um, but the the kind of incidents that you point out, those are those are situations that create areas where there may be potential abuses of power, where they're looking for novel ways to expand the reach of the law and go outside of what the, the lawmakers intended. And say, and trying to point to areas and and creating broader broader uh, areas avenues for enforcement than what the what Congress and and other lawmakers intended and and that kind of approach is is fraught with danger and potential for abuse. Yeah, and it looks like from the one of the documents you got that the NTOC, which was the National Threat Operations Center, was set up. No, this has always been set up really for terrorists and other things, but that they set up NTOC to actually forward tips from the FBI to local law enforcement. Well, first to FBI field office, and then if they needed to, to move it down to local law enforcement partners. That's quite an activation of a, of a system that's generally been reserved for terrorism and counterintelligence threats. Again, another sense of how much they escalated the concern. Mm-hmm. It was escalated. And now, the, as I mentioned before, the National School Boards Association letter equated some of the actions of the, of the parents at meetings with domestic terrorism, and, and the Garland memo does not use that terminology, and, and Attorney General Garland has testified that uh, essentially that they, they you know, did not believe that that applied, but their actions are indicating that they were could have potentially been using the stretching the bounds of that to try to roll into some of these these people that that were would have been on the receiving end of of the enforcement actions of this. So there's there's really in what this reveals is is to me is that there was a, a huge gap between the the statements that they made and the actions that they took. And that's another another reason that people have, have lost a lot of trust in agencies that were revered for decades and centuries uh, in this country. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's why the weaponization subcommittee's work is going to be so important. Whatever it comes up with as solutions, hopefully we'll restore some of that trust because we do need to have some trust in that our system. It's been uh, greatly reduced over the last couple of years. Yes, unfortunately, that's true. For people who see your great work every day, what's the best way for people to engage with Protect the Public's Trust? Uh, they can go to our website, protectpublicstrust.org. Uh, they can follow us on Twitter or X, and our, our handle is at Publix Trust. Uh, and if, when they're on the website, they can there's a page where they can sign up to for our updates and receive uh, the press releases and the announcements that we make from there and follow our work through there. And, and as always, uh, listen to the John Solomon podcast, and you can catch us on there when we're when we're on too. You're doing some pretty amazing things. One of the places where you've had a lot of effect, I just want to call attention to this, is the effort to highlight when Biden administration officials have been violating the Hatch Act. Karine Jean-Pierre, I think twice now, you've got rulings against her. Uh, it seems like the Office of Special Counsel taking this very seriously. Biden officials, maybe not as seriously. Yes, John, on two different occasions, we've we've caught uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, violating the Hatch Act, filed complaints both on both occasions with the Office of Special Counsel, and, and they agreed with us in, in each instance that she had, in fact, violated the Hatch Act. Uh, but both times, amazingly, they just let her off with a warning, essentially. Uh, so we're kind of looking as, at this as, you know, are, are they taking, it doesn't appear that uh, Ms. Jean-Pierre and, and members of the White House seem to be taking it seriously, but is the, the Office of Special Counsel, are they taking it seriously as well, uh, finding violations and letting people slide on those? So we have a question with that too. They uh, they find the violation, but there aren't any consequences at the end of the day. And so that kind of leads people to believe and and to kind of stretch the bounds if they don't think that that anything's going to happen if they if they break the law. Yeah, that's such an important dynamic. If you're found to have done something, but there's no consequence, the temptation to do it again goes up over and over again. I think that's going to be an interesting thing. So you're going to press the OSC on its record of not really creating discipline for the violations. Is that correct? Uh, yes, we have been pressing them on that. And, you know, we, we are concerned about, about the, the possibility that, you know, this, this may reduce the uh, head officials or leadership of paying attention or, or following the rules that they're supposed to follow. So very, very important. Uh, another one, you're suing. I think uh, I want to call attention to this because you do such great work and we don't get a chance to get you on every week, but you're suing the FBI over the denial of some of the records that you're seeking in the Twitter files. That's important for free speech, isn't it? Oh, absolutely, John. And the amazing part of it is the FBI is, has taken the stance that uh, we're asking for records that some of which were revealed in the Twitter files. So they've already been in, in the public sphere. And so there were definitely communications between FBI officials and officials at Twitter regarding censorship and other, and other aspects. And so we, we asked for those records. Uh, the FBI has interpreted that as the conversations that we're asking for at our, the, we're essentially invading, invading the privacy of the Twitter officials by asking for those records. Those are precisely the type of, of records that are commonly released in Freedom of Information Act requests, communications between government officials and uh, people on the outside. Uh, we, we don't believe that there is 
has uh, legitimacy. Uh, and so we we went through the process. We we filed appeals. They denied our appeal. So now we're taking them to court to try to force the issue. So an FBI communication with a social media company to potentially censor one's opinions actually could violate the privacies of the recipient of the request. Uh, it seems kind of counterintuitive to transparency in government, no? Yes, exactly. And and they're interpreting this as, as us asking for, say, someone's FBI file that, that they may keep on a person. That's, a, that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for communications between the Twitter officials and the FBI officials, some of which have already been out in the public, some of which have already been released. So we know they exist, but they're denying that it, they even exist. Well, folks, uh, you can tell the great work that Michael and his team are doing, whether it's in unearthing this memo today on the school board controversy or the lawsuit over the FBI and everything in between, including the Hatch Act violations. Go check out his site. It's such a valuable watchdog doing great work in this era of a lot of ethical questions in government. Protectpublictrust.org. It's really easy to remember. Protectpublictrust.org. Go check it out today. Stay in touch. Follow him on Facebook and Twitter. Great work all around. Michael, what a great honor to have you on. I don't know if we'll get you on before Christmas, but have a Merry Christmas and thank you for all the work you're doing to hold government accountable. It really is impressive. Uh, thank you very much, John. It's always a pleasure to be here, and, and Merry Christmas to you and, and your audience. Thank you, my friend. We'll have you back on in the new year for sure, I'm certain. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back after these messages. Folks, Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan, plus veggie, and so much more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutritional packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious and easy. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. If you're like me and have a busy schedule that the last thing you want to worry about is what to eat or having to go to the grocery store. Factor makes it easy as they are flexible to your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Plus, Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, usually in just two minutes. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Head to factormeals.com slash justnews50 and use the promo code justnews50 to get 50% off. That's the code justnews50 at factormeals.com. One more time, factormeals.com slash justnews50. Use the justnews50 code and you will get 50% off your first order. Folks, if you get your wallet stolen or your cell phone or your car, we know what it is. It's old-fashioned theft. It's crime. We know it. Criminals now have a new way to steal our most valuable asset, our homes. Older Americans are most vulnerable to these types of thefts, and that's because they more often own their homes outright. An 88-year-old Florida woman recently discovered that scammers forged her signature, created a fake deed to her home, and then took her property. Those who buy a property from a deed theft scammer often become victims as well. What can you do to protect yourself? It's simple. My good friends at Home Title Lock provide the premier detection technology to protect your home 
and it's titled, The instant they detect an activity or something suspicious, they mobilize to help shut it down. We won't know a thief took us off our title until it's too late. That's why Title Lock jumps into action right away. The titles to all our homes are easily found online. A criminal or renter, even a family member, can simply forge a signature on a home sale form. Then he or she refiles as the new owner, and bam, your home is not in your name, and all of a sudden, debts are being taken out against it. That's why Home Title Lock is my choice. Find out for free when you use my code JUSTNEWS at sign up. You'll get a free comprehensive scan of your home's title and 30 days of legendary home title lock protection free. So go to hometitlelock.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS. That's the promo code JUSTNEWS at hometitlelock.com. Go there today. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Report. So grateful you can join us today. A big thank you to Congressman Austin Scott and to Michael Chamberlain. Two big conversations, two real deep understandings of things that should matter to all of us, the weaponization of law enforcement, both through the FISA process and through that Merrick Garland memo on school board investigations. Two very, very important moments in the conversation. Two very smart people who are making a difference through oversight work. Both of them are doing a great job. All right, folks. Also, remember, if you want to give a great last-minute Christmas gift, Muzzle Stick has the brightly covered chamber and barrel flags that allow a non-gun owner, someone who maybe not as familiar with the Second Amendment as you and I are, to quickly identify if a gun is loaded or not, whether to handle it or not. That is a very great gift. It's inexpensive. It's a great gift. Great stocking stuffer. Go get it today. Go to muzzlestick.com, M-U-Z-L-S-T-I-K.com today to order your chamber barrel flags it's a gift of safety a gift of love the gift of life for all of us second amendment fans go do that today all right that wraps up john solomon reports the podcast from justin news we'll be back tomorrow with another edition until then god bless you and god bless this extraordinary country of the united states as he always has happy holidays folks it's a great time of the year i love christmas hanukkah it's a great time to embrace and love our family and friends everywhere so be sure to engage all right we'll be back tomorrow with more news until then be sure to check out justin news.com we got you covered 24 7 folks financial experts thought we were in the clear they were anticipating around six rate cuts by the fed this year and then the inflation data came out higher than expected again just like we've been predicting friends this isn't going away anytime soon it can't the u.s is 34 plus trillion dollars in the hole and yet we keep printing money which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher whether it's at the grocery cart or at the gas store so you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it diversify a portion of your savings into gold with birch gold group gold is your hedge against inflation and birch gold makes it easy to own they will help you convert an existing ira or 401k into a tax sheltered ira in gold and you don't pay a penny out of pocket all you got to do to get started text just news to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation the way to do it with gold all you got to do to get started on that journey with my good friends who I trust more than anyone at Birch Gold Group text just news to 989898 98 98 right now